Hey ladies and gents, welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry, episode 207. I am your host, Jared Weich, and this week I am joined once again by my co-host, Dominic Orlando. It's football season. I mean, it's Mandalorian season. Da-na-na, na-na, that's the way, this is the way. <laughs> tried, I tried mixing both of them. Uh, yeah, we're going to get Mandalorian, we're going to get WandaVision, which is exciting for me, obviously, because I'm a Marvel fan, and we got football too, so good time. With as bad as 2020 has been, there's some uh, optimism there to look forward to, especially with my personal team being 2-0. I know it hasn't been as great of a beginning of a year for you, Dom, being a Detroit Lions fan, but is it ever, if we're being honest? <laughs> Heartbreaking Michigan as always. Around. Yeah. I mean, Big Ten uh, football coming back is good. At least you guys don't yeah. start with Ohio State like Nebraska does. Which there's a whole like conspiracy that because I don't know if you paid attention, but Nebraska is like people think they screwed them over because they were like, no, we need to start this. They're like, okay, fine, we'll give you a terrible schedule. Anyways, that's it for sports talk. Let's get into this video game news. We got some big stuff going into this. We're primarily going to talk about the Xbox Microsoft acquisition of Bethesda, which is huge, and that'll be our main topic of the show. But out of nowhere, Dom, Amazon decided to drop some news today too, which we'll get into. But first up, I want to talk about it real quickly. Just a little morsel of news. Former Blizzard Entertainment president Mike Morhaime has teamed up with industry vets to launch Dreamhaven, a new game company. Dreamhaven also announced the launch of two studios, Moonshot Games and Secret Door. And the cool thing with this is they're both primarily made up of former Blizzard devs. And if you're familiar with Blizzard at all, they're very talented at what they do and they make incredible games. So I'm really interested to see not only A, what type of games they make in terms of genre, but B, what quality benchmark they're trying to hit, right? Are they trying to go for the AAA of Blizzard that they're known for? Or maybe they're kind of tired of that, you know, grind of a AAA game and want to make some more indie titles. Are, does this excite you? Are you wondering what these studios might be up to in the future? So depending on the, which of those possibilities, possibilities it is, it will, you know, <clears throat> change my excitement. If the, you know, I wasn't big into Overwatch, um, World of Warcraft, uh, what else did Blizzard do? I think Overwatch is kind of the big one as of late, right? That they're known for. Hearthstone. Um, Hearthstone. Yep, that's a good one. Um, but yeah, so I'm not. While like to totally acknowledge, like those are super high quality games. That's you know a lot of multiplayer stuff there. That's not, and that's not my cup of tea. But were this to be um, you know smaller studios and they're gonna like kind of do something totally different, that excites me more. But um, if it's yeah a kind of a bigger a bigger deal and they're going for some you know similar blizzard stuff then i'm like eh, we'll see either way it's exciting for the industry i think well and the fact of like you know it's being headed by a former president of blizzard so he has some cachet there right it's not just some guy creating a studio out of nowhere i wonder if they might spark some deals with maybe you know playstation microsoft somebody else maybe amazon as we'll talk about later to create some games specifically for platforms because what we've heard from game studios especially when they launch is they tend to do a lot of contract work or license work to build up kind of a vault to for safekeeping, I mean, at least the smart companies, so their employees are paid. And then with that, those funds, they work on their dream projects, right? So you kind of have to do like the dirty work first in order to get what you really want to make. So we'll see what happens there. I just thought it was really cool. We're not huge Blizzard guys, like you said, but a lot of talent there. So you don't know what they're going to come sure. up with, especially going into next gen. It's exciting. Here's the first big news of the day. Amazon announces Luna. If you're wondering, Luna, isn't that Spanish for moon? Yes, yes it is. But it is also Amazon's new streaming service. 
So on September 24th, the day we're recording this, Amazon announced their long-awaited and suspected cloud gaming competitor to Microsoft xCloud and Google Stadia. I'm going to hit you with the early details, and then we'll talk about what this means for both xCloud and Stadia, right, Dom? So first up, we got the introductory price of $5.99 a month, pretty competitive. Obviously, you can get Game Pass for $9.99 currently, so it's a pretty competitive price there. <clears throat> and we'll talk about specifically what you get with that $5.99 a little bit later, but a really solid price off of the bat because... Correct me if I'm wrong, Stadia's entry price is what? $30? It's it's tricky cuz I think that only recently is that no longer required. Where now you can just buy a game on Stadia without having the subscription. Um but their subscription is is pricier than $6 for sure. I think it's in like the 10 or 15 range. Honestly. Yeah. Anyways, uh, next up, you'll be able to play games at 4K 60 FPS for selective uh, selected titles. The Luna controller they announced it's 50 bucks, lower latency thanks to the cloud services provided by Amazon Web Services, and for all intents and purposes, it's a Switch Pro controller. Offset sticks, yeah. it's basically that with a little bit of purple in it, um, which we're starting to see. Offset sticks, Dom. It's the industry standard. PlayStation, the only ones doing them symmetrical sticks. Uh, anyways. Next up, it's coming to PC, Mac, iOS, and Android later. No launch date as of yet. Um, next up, you can play on two devices simultaneously with the Luna Plus subscription, uh, which is the $5.99 entry point. And in Luna Plus, uh, that channel, you'll get 100 games available. So the way it works is it's different than Stadia. So with Stadia, you, would, you pay for the subscription, and then you pay for the video games piecemeal, which I personally have always had a... A problem with because it doesn't make sense if you're trying to get people into your service and you're having them spend so much money for a company that's known to not really stick with things right whereas this you're paying 5.99 a month and you get access to all these games like game pass it's the way smarter out um they can subscribe for additional charges to publisher channels like ubisoft that was one that was teased so to explain this to people say dom goes in there and he's like okay i'm gonna subscribe to the luna plus channel for 5.99 ubisoft doesn't have a price yet but say he sees Oh, the Ubisoft channel is $9.99. If he pays an additional $9.99, he gets access to everything within the Ubisoft channel. So he's, once again, not buying piecemeal in terms of individual games. You're buying piecemeal in terms of publishers, right? Or channels, as they call kind, them. Kind of like uh, you subscribe to Hulu. And within Hulu, you can also have subscriptions to HBO or Stars or Or Amazon Cinema. Prime does that too. You can subscribe yeah. to HBO and Stars and all of that as well. So it makes sense they're going this route. And, uh, yeah, games are going to come out on there for Ubisoft. Uh, and they're going to be the uh, premier or elite versions of the games. I forgot what they call their, like, $100 versions of their titles. Um, but those ones. Um, once, like I said, powered by Amazon Web Services. Uh, it's going to have Twitch integration for those of you who are interested in that stuff. And lastly, users can request early access via sign-up on Amazon.com, which I did because I want to check it out. Just like we both checked out Stadia when it was first coming out. This is all really interesting. I tweeted earlier, Dom, after this news broke that this immediately showcases how bad of a product Stadia is in general, right? Um, of coming out and being $5.99, you get access to all of these games. You don't have to buy piecemeal. There's going to be these individual channels, so you can add them on as you please or not add any on. Um, what do you think about this announcement in general in comparison to Stadia, xCloud, and just as a service, do you think Amazon came out with the right foot forward? Yeah, so far. Um, I'll be more interested to see like what that list of 100 games is, right? 
Um, you could see a couple in the background on their graphic. Um, who's to say if that's representative or not? But um, yeah, I'd be curious to see that. And uh, it's it is interesting. Like they went right to the the subscription model without any a la carte options as well as probably especially being as cheap as it is as it is is going to be a more popular option yeah and it's an introductory price so that price will eventually go up obviously right and to your point it already is going to have 20 more games than stadia at launch <laughs> which is interesting and also to your point the games on there will probably not be any new releases but the big thing is going to be will new releases launch on this and from what they said in their um thing is that you know you can expect Valhalla to launch into this uh, into the Ubisoft channel so it's going to be interesting to see there i'm curious if they're doing 599 introductory i doubt Ubisoft is going to be cheaper than like 10 15 bucks right has to be for their specific channel so yeah, especially uh, if if it's for sure that like you know like Valhalla is going to come uh, right to the service then i got to think that that's at least a 10 dollar subscription yeah and the interesting thing here too, so for Luna Plus, you get to stream two on two devices at the same time. For Ubisoft, uh, Ubisoft's channel, you can only stream on one device at a time. So you're going to see there, there's going to be some differences between these channels and what they allow you to do. And uh, Ultimate Edition is the version I was looking for earlier, the uh, you know the more expensive version with the DLC for their titles. The other part of this, um, maybe you mentioned I missed, but that's especially compared to Stadia and even compared to xCloud that's better thus far is the amount and varied devices that it's going to be available on, right? Like, um, or that was the first thing you said was uh, iOS, Android, they said eventually, so we'll see how long, but then PC and Mac and also TVs. Because right now you can't play xCloud on a TV, which is... Yeah, but this, remember, this, is, <laughs> this is promise. So this is, we don't know if they're all launching at the same time. You okay. know, okay. It, just that like with xCloud, they announced all of the all of the devices, but we don't know. Right. Obviously, you know what I mean? So it's going to be available on those. Who knows if it's at launch? The workaround, too, with iOS is that it's not an actual app. They're doing some workaround there um, with that, which I haven't read too much into, so sorry for not being full on that. But, you know, people are questioning, like, how come this can be on I iOS devices and xCloud can't? And it's because they're doing some workaround where you're not actually using an app on the phone. Um, so... There's that. It, it is interesting. Um, I think the biggest thing here is that when are new games going to come to this? Are they going to start touting Amazon's releases are going to be available in this for part of the Luna Plus, right? New World, which is their MMO. They're also working on that Lord of the Rings game. Um, there's a lot of stuff here that we don't know specifically, but for me personally, this is like better value and a better product overall than Stadia out of the gate. Um, and I don't know how Stadia is going to respond to this because, like you said, xCloud is currently only on uh, Android devices, hasn't come to PC yet, and hasn't come to consoles in terms of your personal server yet and all that, which I'm assuming will launch before the Xbox Series X. But this is a like a, I don't know, it's a big competitor, and I don't know where Stadia is going to land on this in the future. And... I don't know if they're starting to worry if it's time to pull the plug, right? Because we've seen Google do this with multiple products and services. And, like, I don't know if they jumped out there to see if they could do what they could with their own setup. I don't know. I just think Stadia, like, comparison to both of these products is not even close, you know? So the other thing, I, I'm not sure if I read or if there was an answer out already, but can you only use their controller or can you oh, use no, that's so. Uh, sorry, yeah, I was going to mention that. They have an FAQ on their site 
and somebody had asked uh, which controls are compatible with Luna, and they stated you can play with the Luna controller, Xbox One, DualShock Four, or any Sweet. mouse and keyboard. Okay. So, yeah, you can use whatever you want for that. Um, there was something else I was going to mention here. Oh, for the Ubisoft channel, somebody asked, what's the Ubisoft channel? And they said the game channel will include new and favorite titles. So how new is that? Like, are we getting, hmm. uh, you know, a holiday and date? Are we getting, what's the latest Ubisoft game that came out? Uh, it's been a minute. Right. Yeah, I'm trying to think what the last Ubisoft title was. Division 2, Odyssey? maybe? Division 2. I don't know. Yeah. Shit. Because they, de <laughs> they delayed a bunch. Yep. Right. Uh, what was the other thing I wanted to mention here? Oh, so uh, somebody asked what in uh not what internet? How much internet data should I expect to use with cloud gaming? Which is a big concern, right? You don't want to eat up all of your data if you have a data cap. And it says, unlike streaming movies or music, cloud gaming can consume up to ten gigs at ten eighty p. So I don't know if they're trying to say like, that's better than mo movies and music. Um, but at least they gave a you know an expectation of if you're streaming at ten eighty p, you're gonna go through ten gigs an hour. Which is funny because in the same breath, it's like you can also play games at 4K, but they don't list how much that's going to eat, right? 4K, mm -hmm. they're like, yeah, we might as yeah. well not just say that. Um, device requirements that they announced for the Luna app. PC, you need Windows 10 with support for DirectX 11. Mac, you need OS X 10.13 or higher. Uh, Fire TV devices, you need a Fire TV stick that's second gen or a Fire TV stick that's 4K, right? The newer ones. Uh, and additionally, you can use a Chrome web browser for PC and Mac and a Safari web browser for iPhone and iPad. Interesting stuff. I'm excited to see. I want to get in personally. Like, I hope I'm able to get into the testing and check it out for myself because despite how much I'm trashing on Stadia, when we tried it, I was really impressed. I was like, oh, this is crazy. It's just there's a difference between the performance of the product and the value to a consumer on the product, right? And that's the problem with Stadia is it works, but... Their model for it just isn't applicable to gamers. Gamers don't want to invest in a new thing where their purchases will only live on there and go away at the blink of an eye. I don't know, but I'm curious to see. Do you think Stadia is going to shoot back with something? Obviously not immediately because things take time, but do you think this is like a kick in the ass to Stadia? Of like, oh, we might need to change things more drastically and sooner than our timeline initially foresaw. Uh, maybe I mean surely like they knew that Amazon was working on this and probably like some of these details are news to them but like this isn't a surprise right like knew, they knew this was coming they knew X Cloud was coming and so on so I can't imagine it's that big a surprise but but yeah it's competition so I would hope that it prompts them to you know increase their competitive edge because uh, I haven't heard about Stadia in a long time I this is like. Like a year ago, or in the past several months, like I had been talking about how like Stadia would hold a huge competitive, potentially a huge competitive advantage over PlayStation and Xbox come new generation when they could say like, oh, you could play um, a next gen only game on for seventy dollars. Now we know on on PS Five or after buying the box for five hundred bucks, or you could just pay the $60, $70 only on Stadia. You don't have to invest in the box, but haven't heard much of anything as far as marketing from Stadia or pushing any other advantages. So it's kind of like, what are they doing right now? Like, So yeah, I think we'll hear some more from them soon, I assume. Well, yeah, and obviously they haven't had like 4K ready on top of yeah. the fact that like, we don't see new games really come to Stadia right away. So how can you tout that your game, you can only pay 60 bucks when 
it's likely right. from what we've seen that your game won't, you know, the new yeah. game won't be there the same day. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens. An interesting thing, I've seen people talk about what are the chances that Xbox has a channel, right? Which is kind of outlandish or PlayStation. But then when you talk about EA, I want to mention this real quick because I think some people have this misconstrued. EA Play being in Xbox Game Pass doesn't mean that all new EA games come to Game Pass. That's not what that means. What EA Play does as a service itself is allows you to play their back catalog of games, which will be in Game Pass. But the newer titles, you get the 10-hour trial, right, to Madden, to FIFA. And I think some people assume that the new games launch in EA Play. That's not how EA Play works. So don't expect brand new EA games to launch into Game Pass. That's never been how EA Play works. Okay. So when you talk about an EA channel on here, this totally works, where you can subscribe to it. And especially with people who play the sports games every year and everything, just knowing EA, though, I don't know if they're going to be as generous or if they're going to do. You can subscribe for five bucks a month to our channel, but you get the perks of EA Play. So you're not getting a channel where you get to play full titles like Luna Plus or Ubisoft, but it's just you get to subscribe to EA Play or whatever they're going to call it now, right? Which is still nice to have it on a different service where I pay five bucks a month and I can check out the new EA games for 10 bucks, uh, t 10 hours at a time. So there's that. What, what do you think the chances are of an Xbox app? I think zero. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I'm going to say zero. Yeah. It's especially with the way Microsoft's invested in Azure servers. It's like, why would they put something up on here? Because it's xCloud has already stated. It's going to be on literally all the devices that Luna is going to be on. Obviously they have to work through iOS stuff, but it's going to be on TVs. It's going to be on consoles. You know what I mean? So there's a little bit of difference there, but I think those two are primed to be the competitors where Stadia is kind of like the stepbrother in the back. being like, Hey guys, I want to play too. I'm going to go inside. I don't want to play with you. Um, but that's that for Amazon. I'm interested in Luna. Have you signed up for the to try to get in? Yeah, I did. Yep. Yeah. Um, I don't remember for the Stadia one. Did it ask for our internet speeds completely? Do you remember? No, it didn't ask you, but it certainly ran a test. I think. Yeah, because this one just Check asks. It's like, what's your upload and download speed? Um, and I forgot the other questions. It's like zip code, and then oh, it asks like how often you play video games. You know, generalized questions. Um. I wonder if on the back end they're like, oh, this person buys a lot of video games through Amazon. Let's see. Let's send them the invite first, like how that rollout goes. Interesting. Yeah, yeah it could be, especially like because like I'm at a, I have a Prime account and I've bought many video games through Amazon. Yeah, so that's yeah. an interesting point. Oh, and if they target even on a baseline level, Prime subscribers over people who just use Amazon, you know, we'll see what happens there. Next up. Just when we thought nothing could happen. Oh, WB Games no longer wants to get purchased. What's going to happen? Should I pre-order an Xbox console for next gen? Monday morning, Xbox just drops a bomb. Microsoft drops a bomb, technically. Um, but if in this news story, I say Xbox instead of Microsoft when referring to the acquisition. They're one and the same for the sake of the story. In an industry-shaking move, Microsoft has agreed to principle, in principle to acquire Bethesda's parent company, ZeniMax Media. The deal is expected to be finalized by June 2021, which is the end of Microsoft's current fiscal year. Now, before we get into all the details, all the nitty gritty, Dom, just Monday when you woke up or whenever you saw this news, how did it affect you? How did you react? Just like, holy crap, man. I mean, this is probably like the biggest piece of news in this industry and like, I don't know, a decade at least, right? I, I, I don't even know what, what the last piece of news that was this big. 
was, um, I guess in general, like uh, Google and uh, Amazon, you know, trying to compete is potentially big news. Um, although, it, as we just talked about, it's <laughs> we are kind of doubting them. But this was like, holy crap, I can't believe that this has happened. And then the number uh, for which they're being bought is like, holy crap, that's a huge number. And like, it makes sense. Um, it's just, yeah, it was just like shocking. Yeah, and the day before pre-orders went live, right? It's like, oh, okay, here's yeah. Xbox's big dick move. Okay, I get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess for me, the last Insomniac's purchase wasn't surprising. I think everyone saw that coming with Sony. I think right. the last shocking thing like this, um, not because of the price, but because of the acquisition, was when EA purchased Bioware. I think that was kind of shocking to a lot of people because, oh, Bioware, this beloved studio, they're going to EA gross. Mm-hmm. Um, but the last big one in terms of like companies, companies, is probably before our time in terms of covering this or being conscious of video game industry news, which is when Square and Enix merged, of like them coming together to form Square Enix, right? Um, and obviously there's been other stuff in the past, but yeah, this is huge. So let's get into these details because boys, there are a bunch of them. And there's also some additional Xbox news I wanted to talk about at the end that isn't directly related to Bethesda, but it's some pretty interesting stuff. So first up, like Dom said, quite a lot of money is going to be exchanged. The deal's worth 7.5, I wrote million by accident, 7.5 billion in cash. To put that in perspective, too. Star Wars, yeah, that's, cash. That's the point if you're into like financial <laughs> stuff or like, um, a lot of times these types of deals are, you know, paid for in like, fucking investment. Stock I, or I trade yeah. value and yeah. Right. Uh, so this is cash. Uh, to put that in perspective, uh, Star Wars, like Lucas Arts was acquired, Lucasfilm was acquired by Disney for 4 billion. Um, <laughs> Which is just like such a bargain now when you think about it. <laughs> Yeah, well, and the fact that they've already, uh, Disney already made more than four billion back simply on the on the three major movie releases, <laughs> or five. Yeah, the three trilogy and then Solo and Rogue One. They already made that money back, which is crazy, and that's not including merchandising and right. literally everything Video else games. that makes money. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bethesda Games will launch into Game Pass moving forward, which is duh. If they're owned by Microsoft, they're going to be launching into Game Pass. The back catalog is going to be slowly coming into the fold into Game Pass. Uh, Doom Eternal was announced. Uh, it's going to be coming on console October 1st for Game Pass and before the end of 2020 for PC. Um, next up, this is a bit of a weird one. We can talk about this. We know Xbox is kind of a good guy in terms of you know gaming and PR and stuff like that, and they've tried to be that way for a while. They're going to honor the PS5 exclusivity deals for Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo, um, which is cool because... This, you know, this isn't a given. Xbox could totally acquire Bethesda and be like, yeah, those deals don't matter to us. And obviously there could be some legal stuff where they couldn't even if they wanted to. But the fact that they're saying something means to me that they could. They could totally be dicks and, you know, they have enough money to buy enough lawyers to cancel right. that crap. You know what I mean? Or, you, I mean, surely they could just like, yeah, buy out the contract, the existing agreement. Exactly. Uh, one way or another. Um, but yeah, so it's, I don't want to say it's like cool of them to honor it, but it's because it's kind of like. No one really liked those deals to begin with, so. yeah. but whatever, I get it. But I think it's, and we'll talk about this a little bit later. I think this is a, hey, I'm going to give you a gift now. Just don't get mad when I change some things later. Like, I think them are, they're like, okay, we're going to give you guys these PS5 exclusives and honor those because in the future, you might not see a lot of these major Bethesda published titles on a PlayStation console. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's like, here, we'll be nice to you now, maybe not later. Plus, um, like, all, I mean, like the money Sony paid for those deals went to Microsoft, right? So it's like, exactly. it doesn't really, it's all good. And honestly, it's not like we're talking about Elder Scrolls 6 or Starfield here. Like, 
Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo, I mean, Deathloop looks way cooler to me personally than Ghostwire Tokyo, but they're not games that are moving the needle, moving the needle tremendously. So it's not going to hurt them necessarily to continue with these deals. Um, next up to the point of the exclusives and stuff, Spencer said in an interview, future games like Starfield will be available for Xbox, PC, and Microsoft's Game Pass video game service. We'll take other consoles on a case-by-case -case basis. To me, people are having this conversation of, uh, what does this mean for the future of exclusivity for other, uh, you know, is, is Elder Scrolls 6 coming to PlayStation? Is Starfield coming to PlayStation? What I'll say is there's definitely a possibility that can happen. Uh, with the company being bought for $7.5 anything is possible, right? They can totally come to PlayStation. But in my assumption, I don't think they will. If I was a betting man, I would say Elder Scrolls Online and Fallout 76 will continue to be on all platforms they're on and continue to exist because they are living, breathing games. But I don't think Microsoft purchases Bethesda for $7.5 to not entice people towards Game Pass and their own platform. You know what I mean? I, I just don't see a world in which Elder Scrolls 6 and Starfield are not exclusive, if not for the very least timed. Um, what do you think? Yeah, it's tricky because Game Pass kind of is a new variable in this equation. So, Because if you think about it, even if they do release all their games still on on playstation 5 like they're gonna cost 70 bucks probably yeah so but then they're also gonna cost 10 bucks a month on game pass so <laughs> even if they do come to ps5 it's still like they're still highly incentivized to yep. for people to play it on xbox instead so that's kind of the thing that has me like wondering like i don't know man because like if you're talking uh elder scrolls 6 right say so that comes out 2023 or something we don't know um Probably by then, there's going to be 50 million PS5s in the world. I, that's a guess, obviously, but something in that range, like 70 bucks a copy. And you know that that's going to sell bonkers, of course. Um, that's a lot of money you could leave it on the table from that game specifically. But then on the flip, it's like that's a huge, incredible incentive to get people to buy Xboxes or pay for X. Uh, X Cloud and Game Pass and so on if you can't get it on PlayStation. So like, I'm like split i can see it going either way i think the only for sure thing is what you already said about the games that already came, that came, already came out uh and are continuing to come out fallout 76 and elder scrolls online will definitely in fact we, we already know that elder scrolls online is coming to playstation 5 like it's already been said um, yeah Bethesda pre this so you, you'd assume that that's going to be honored um but yeah, the only thing preventing Fallout 76 maybe is if they just can't can it entirely. <laughs> yeah, stop. <laughs> Which isn't uh, out of the realm of possibility. Um, I'm like split, dude. I don't know. Well, yeah, I I guess at at the worst for me, I think it's 70-30 exclusive over multiplat, right? But it's all about the business math, because like, yeah, there's gonna be a bunch of PlayStation Fives out there, but what's the return on how much of a cut does PlayStation take from all those sales on their platform? What's the you know, is it better to get try to get people on your platform because on top of buying Starfield, if they're already in your ecosystem, then they're gonna they're gonna spend more money in your storefront, right? So is it better to take a loss on the front end of not being on PlayStation to get people to force people to come over to your ecosystem in some capacity, and then you get their return on investment moving forward with additional purchases, right? Because like you could, because then you could make the same logic, the same argument for like. Well, why don't they just release Halo Infinite on PlayStation 5? Same idea, right? The same numbers that you'd be looking at about like, well, there's a lot of PlayStations out there. You could make a, a buck on selling Halo on it, right? Yeah. They, they could do that. And Sony would probably be like, sure, right? Um, they, so, so I don't know. It's tricky. I, I might lean slightly towards 
they're going to start keeping stuff exclusive. Um, but I, I guess the only other factor is like, and because we've seen so little of like Starfield and Elder Scrolls Six specifically, maybe Starfield is like really close to done. Um, like Todd Howard always likes to say, he hates, he wants to keep everything as close to the chest for as long as possible. So if that game is coming out next year, then like PS5 development is probably like they put a lot of work into it and a lot of hours and money. Um, no, not that, that you want to necessarily fall for like the sunken cost fallacy, but that could play into like, like Phil said, like, on a case by case basis. And in that case, they want to use the money invested in building that game on that platform already, potentially. Well, and the good thing though with Starfield and Elder Scrolls and the opposite end of that is we've only seen logos for those games. So there's not a mm -hmm. ton of investment in terms of seeing all this gameplay and expecting to have it on PlayStation. Right. Like they no could turn the messaging around. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how things play out. The other benefit the Xbox has um, is that we've seen Xbox be better about legacy of franchises and the games they own, right? Like being able to play them through generations. And come next gen, is Xbox going to be the only place where you can go back and check out the older Elder Scrolls, go back and check out older Doom games, uh, like, you know, remastered or all of this stuff. Like they can build a catalog of all of the Bethesda games that have already come out in a way that you can't play on other systems. You know what I mean? Like that's all, another benefit is they're not just getting the games that are coming out. They're getting the entire catalog of what they own. Um, I want to move on next. Uh, I'm not, I, di I didn't make a list of the ex specific franchises they acquired, but you know them. They're Doom, they're Rage, they're Fallout, they're Elder Scrolls, they're Starfield now. There's Dishonored. Brink if you're excited about that. Dishonored. Uh, Quake. I'm assuming they'll they'll own Deathloop and Ghostwire. They're just because those games are they're just yeah. exclusivity deals. PlayStation isn't publishing those. Um, anyways, so Xbox Game Studios grows from 15 to 23 studios, 33% increase, give or take. They add Bethesda Softworks, which is the big boy studio that Dom and I love, makers of Elder Scrolls and Fallout. Um, they got Machine Games, the Wolfenstein boys. They got Arcane Studios, the men behind Dishonored, and women behind Dishonored Pray. and uh, Deathloop. Uh, Roundhouse Studios, who I'm not super familiar with. Zenimax Online Studios, the Elder Scrolls Online guys. It is software, Doom Baby, come on. Alpha Dog Games and Tango Gameworks, the developers behind the Evil Within and Ghostwire, which is Microsoft's first Japanese studio, <laughs> which is really cool. Remember, yeah. Phil said he wants to get into Japanese game development and have a studio over there. And we've often assumed, are they going to purchase somebody? Are they going to build a studio over there? A whole publisher to get one Japanese To get studio. one studio. <laughs> Phil doesn't play. Um, the thing I want to talk about real quick before we get to the additional video game news, Dom, is I think this is a boon for, you know, people talk about the Elder Scrolls and the Fallouts and like, oh, yeah, it's incredible. We can't wait to get those games on Xbox. And obviously the fanboys are like, they're going to be all ours, yada, yada, yada. I think this is good news for the smaller stuff, especially from Arcane. Like, Arcane's games have suffered to not sell very well. So has Tango Gameworks, despite the Evil Within 1 and 2 being reviewed very well, despite the Dishonored games being reviewed very well. I think this is great because they are the the best fit for Game Pass. Like their games can come out, they can fill a need, they can fill a release gap. People can enjoy them because they're high quality releases and these studios don't have to worry about the money thing hanging over their head of we need to sell X amount of copies or we can't do the sequel or we need to do this or do that. I think it's bigger for those studios than it is necessarily for Bethesda Softworks. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, potentially, but... I think it's more it's more interesting than that. I think it could be potentially more complicated because they still have to succeed, but now yes. we're just changing the metric by which they succeed. 
right? And I don't know if that's, I think that's good. Um, Cause like if they weren't succeeding by the old metric, then this like, changing it could, I mean, can't be worse potentially. Right. Um, but I don't know if this is necessarily going to save like certain franchises that if they're just not viable, they aren't viable. And the like when you, the really like interesting thing to think about if it goes down this path is, is that new metric time, time, like amount of time played. Um, and if that's like where we kind of end up going in general, and I'm not saying we will, but what does that do to the design of games? Because we already saw the other direction. Like a lot of games are designed to, um, you know, with microtransactions, they're designed to want you to buy more stuff in the game. Like the game yeah. design is built like way. So are we going to start seeing like game design to make you play more kind of like, um, just in, in terms of time spent, I don't know. I, it, is I mean, this... We've already seen that right with games of service titles. Like they're built to have you play nonstop. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me, I would assume that the game pass thing is like, they need to see if a new release translates to subscriptions or downloads. Right. I don't know if time played in a specific game means anything, but if you have people loading up game pass, downloading the games or signing up for game pass, you'll, there's a direct line there of, Oh, X game is coming out. This person signed up the day it came out. They, subscribe to game pass for this game right mm. um and i do think too with these titles they can kind of explore the range of what they want to do and maybe instead of getting a full-on evil within three we get like a spin-off story or dishonored three we get a spin-off thing that's a smaller title they can turn around in two years and release it on game pass right um and to your point i think what i've seen with most people is if they're not sure on a game, they're kind of unwilling to spend $60, which might end up being $70. But if you have Game Pass and you hear from everybody, you hear from the kind of funnies and the IGNs and your friends, man, this game's incredible. Oh, all I have to do is go and download it on the service I already pay for. That I think those games can be more successful in that metric because you're not asking people to invest so much money. If they hear a game's good, they're willing to try it. You know, and I think that could be huge for those games because... Like I said, Arcane's games have reviewed well. They just haven't sold well. Tango Gameworks, Evil Thin has reviewed well. They just haven't sold well. And I don't know if it's that those games just didn't market themselves well. There's also the case, Dom, that stealth games and horror games are niche genres, and they just don't, they, they can't sell well. You know what I mean? But if you have that in a Game Pass service, and say they line it up so Evil Within 3 comes out on Game Pass in October, hey, everybody's excited for horror games during Halloween. Who knows? going to be interesting to see but yeah going from 15 to 23 studios the last thing i wanted to ask you because this is another interesting dialogue that's happening and sparked fanboy debates but i don't want to get to the fanboy perspective we've talked about how how playstation's first party and xbox's first party before so before the xbox acquisitions recently not bethesda but the other ones there was a huge gap right in terms of quality and just the number of studios producing games that was evident, right? We had Halo and Gears. That's pretty much it. And then we had all the tremendous PlayStation Studios. Over these years, we've seen Xbox gain ground, but obviously still not matched it. With this acquisition of Bethesda, would you agree or disagree that we're in a place now where it's not as clear cut that PlayStation has the best suite of first party developers that they're actually pretty close? And the reason I ask this is not because I think still PlayStation bar for bar has the highest quality, maybe with less amount of games, but they're, you know, high, high quality. Whereas now Xbox has tons of these studios that can consistently hit 80 and above. And I, 
it's not necessarily quality versus quantity, but if you take in the whole picture of the studios, right, and their whole grouping and their whole suite, do you think that gap is, is there an argument for both now? I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, I mean, no matter what, it's it's definitely a smaller gap at least, right? It's definitely getting yeah. closer. Um, and But there's still variables out there too, which is um, the initiative. Um, you know, whatever uh, playground games making cable, we'll see how good that is. You know, like there's a lot of like really good promise on the Xbox side, that, but we just haven't, it hasn't been quite fulfilled yet, but we all have like a lot of faith in a lot of those new studios. And the one are, thing like, I want to mention though, real quick is there. Obsidian has a track record of highly reviewed games. Initiative, yeah. obviously, we don't know anything about, but Obsidian isn't just coming in making Avowed and we don't know anything about it. And Playground isn't coming in and we don't know that they create stellar games. So they have a track record as well. The initiative, totally mm-hmm. huge question mark. We don't know what the hell, you know what I mean, what they are. They could be Naughty Dog. They could be Sucker Punch. They could be, uh, who made uh, the zombie game? Bend. Uh, yeah, Bend. They could be Bend. No knock against Bend, but Bend isn't Naughty Dog, right? So. Yeah, so I think, um, and obviously it's different person to person, but like if you were to like gun to my head, you know, which is higher quality, I might still say Sony based on what we know so far, but... I would, if you asked me, uh, obviously that, like I said, that gap is certainly a lot closer, but if you asked me like, um, quantity, not just quantity, but variety, you know, types of games, um, yeah. then I think like now it's like, well, with all these Bethesda on its own, like those studios, like you have giant RPGs, you have horror games, you have first person shooters and like, and like weird games that first person whatever you call dishonored and prey type game right you know what i mean like uh, immersion or what is it called something like that immersive yeah, sims something. right in addition to what xbox already has like that's not like such a vast like t- like party of, of studios and the types of games they make man like it's to me it's like game pass has always been like a great deal and it's only gotten better and better but now like with this it's like for like m- like most gamers, I think we can start. We can start to call it like Game Pass is like essential at this point. You know, what I mean, it's trying yeah. to get to that point where like you can call it that for the majority of like gamers, like core gamers, however you want to define that. Um, I'm speaking generally, but yeah, like this is a big deal. Um, and in general, I think it's it's cool because you mentioned um, that Square and Enix joining, <clears throat> merging or whatever um, was a lot like one of the last big pieces of news like this. I never knew that that was a thing. It's always been Square Enix to me, right? I never even <laughs> yeah. knew that they were separated. Um, so it's interesting to think that like a decade from now, like it's going to be so like, we're not even going to think about much about the time before this. It's just Bethesda is part of Microsoft and it's just going to be like common. And there's going to be kids that grow up only knowing that world that like, you know, Elder Scrolls is only on Xbox. They'll be like, wait a minute, the old Elder Scrolls games are on PlayStation? What the heck? You know, it's just kind of fun to think about. Well, and the one thing I want to mention too, real quick, I agree with you. I think there's a case for both of them. And the the question matters, right? So if you say higher quality collection of studios, I mean, most people would Very PlayStation. Yeah, but if you say better suite of studios, you're taking in the collective. Right. And at, you yep. know, bar for bar, I don't know if like, especially with 23 studios, you know, I think they both have a case, whereas we couldn't even have this discussion beforehand, whereas like, right. Right. yeah, Xbox it's an argument, gears. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's really cool. <laughs> People were like, oh, well, you know, Xbox, you know, Microsoft purchases for $7.5 billion. PlayStation needs to do the same. You guys need to understand that PlayStation can acquire other studios. It's not out of the realm of possibility. But an acquisition like this just isn't fiscally possible with PlayStation. 
there was a thing that came out that their operating earnings between 2013 and 2020 was eight point something billion dollars. Put that in perspective, Microsoft just paid seven point five billion for the studio for you know the company. Yeah. Um, so you're talking like it would be anything like a merger of, of that would be more exactly the phrase um, if that's the possible still I have no idea I wouldn't think so but yeah and I'm not trying to come off as a fanboy like PlayStation can still acquire studios they can still partner with people but expect them to buy something for 7.5 billion is just unrealistic you you look at Microsoft it's depending on the day it and Apple are the highest valued companies in the world so it's just the way it is and I mean I'm happy as somebody who primarily plays on Xbox that they're using those resources to make it competitive right they're actually using that money to try to compete with playstation because the at the end of the day the thing is playstation doesn't really need to spend 7.5 billion because they've worked over the last generation to make games and studios that people love whereas now xbox is playing catch-up because of poor leadership in those early days you know it's just how it and is another thing i think we should address is you know then there's also the concern of like is this type of consolidation good for the industry because really you're taking away competition um, and I think in this case, uh, this is absolutely good when you're looking at it from that perspective. Yeah. Um, it's certainly a good question to ask. Um, but when you look at the way the consumer-friendly policies and services Xbox has been, you know, rolling out the past couple of years, uh, it's like I don't. You, you're. This is good for consumers, right? Like all those games that were now sixty dollars a pop or are ten dollars a month, um, right? So like, if it were the other way around, and like Sony were again not possible really but if sony were buying bethesda that argument would hold more weight because <laughs> you know that they don't have a game pass that they're going to put these games on whereas with xbox the way they've been doing things to me that's not so much a threat of a monopoly um, or, or you know decreasing competition yeah and we're also not talking about the likes of ea or activision who are the or 2k who are the big big boys like don't get me wrong bethesda is a big company and you there is an argument and a worry to like oh man how is this going to change the industry but I think the moment Microsoft were to purchase like EA or Activision, that's when we need to start raising our eyebrows yeah. and being like, this is getting a little bit dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, and it is, you know, you're, you're valid to have those kind of worries because it, it, the industry is changing. And the thing too, that we're probably not going to have time to talk about, but like moving into next gen, if games all go to $70, how is that going to affect indie games? Right. And are uh, indie games going to be able to thrive through game pass? Right. And that's kind of the only way because now that people are having to spend 70 bucks for a game, that extra 10, you know, in theory, that extra 10 bucks there, would they have spent that on an indie game that seemed interesting to them? Like what happens to indie games this next generation when prices go up, you know, that's going to be because unlike these big publishers, I don't know if indie titles can, can go up in price. You know what I mean? I don't know if they have that room to grow too. If people are as willing to pay a 10 extra bucks for an indie game as they are a triple a polished game coming out you know what i mean it's more sensitive right when an indie game is like 25 bucks or 30 it's like people are way more fickle at least from my from what i've seen <laughs> yeah. like they're not as willing to spend 30 but like if it's 15 then it's it's easier to you know what i mean but like 60 bucks has always been 60 bucks and people don't, don't tend to have a problem with it so yeah i think you're right to raise a concern about indie games it can't just raise the price the same way exactly let's get into this additional xbox news real quick first up the new xbox storefront is available for everyone starting on september 24th i've been using this uh dom i'm really excited for next gen because this is basically what's going to be in the ui for series x mm -hmm. it's quicker it's snappier i know you want the same thing from the new playstation ui is like 
these things just need to work better with these SSDs, and that's the hope, is that they're quicker and snappier and we don't have to slog through all this stuff. Really cool. I love the design of it. It feels a lot like the Epic Game Store kind of design overall with, like, bezeled edges and stuff like that and not really harsh corners. Um, it's good. It's a, definitely an improvement, I'll tell you that much. Uh, next up, Game Pass has reached 15 million subscribers, up 33% from April 2020. This is the thing, too, Dom. By the time Elder Scrolls Six comes out, you say there's 50 million PlayStation 5 units out there. How many Xbox Game Pass subscribers are going to be looking at? You know what I mean? And that's going to, you know. 30 million, 40 too. million. Especially as it becomes, uh, as xCloud becomes available on more platforms. Um, yep. Yep. It's kind of only going to go up. Who knows? Uh, next up, this is really cool, Dom. This is something a lot of people didn't talk about. And I wish Xbox touted this loudly because this is really cool. Xbox has a new feature that allows you to download and install any game, even if you don't own it. For example, if you have ordered an optical disc version of a game, you will be able to preload the game before your optical disc arrives, meaning you can play the game the moment you insert the optical disc. This, so this not only is helpful to people who are all digital, where you can download any game even if you don't own it because am I buying it, am I not, right? People who are all about physical, you know, you go to that midnight release, maybe not the midnight release, but you get the game, you just got out of work. You picked up the mail. You go to your couch. You go to put in the disc. You're like, I can't wait to play. Hold on. There's a 35 gig update. You know what I mean? And this allows you to get that download done. Still stay committed to physical. If that's how you want to play video games and be able to pre-download it. I think it's really cool. Yeah, this is a cool feature that like not many people have thought of. But uh, yeah, I think and, it, and it's, it's it sounds funny at first. But then when you start to think about it, like, yeah, that would be really useful. Um, like. PlayStation 4 had done a really good job about <clears throat> uh, letting you start a game, like if you have a physical game, letting you start it when the download is only like 10 or 15% done uh, from the disc or whatever. Xbox so like, had it too, yeah. Yeah, so like they had gotten really good at doing stuff like that, but then this is even better, obviously, where you can do it, you know, days in advance and that kind of thing, so it's pretty cool. It's, I wanted to mention something real quick, because it's something I just remembered. There's a specific problem I have with the PS4 that I hope they fix with the PS5, Dom. And that's, I realize that PS4 doesn't allow you, allow you to use an HDMI switcher. Oh, really? Yeah. So <laughs> there's like some weird DMCA-like stuff going on with it where it doesn't let you use an HDMI sw splitter because I'm assuming it thinks you're trying to like, s like capture footage. I don't know what's up with it, but you can't <laughs> use an HDMI uh, switcher on the PS4, which sucks. So I have my PS4 plugged into one monitor, and then I have my Switch and Xbox on the Switcher on the other one, because uh, it just doesn't allow it. So hopefully that's something they changed. We'll see. Let's get into, Dom, our first ever video game book club. We told you guys we were going to be covering Tell Me Why. We've had some scheduling issues with Dom not being available or, you know, just stuff happening. We're finally getting to it. We're going to be talking about Chapter 1. Dom and I have only played through Chapter 1 of Tell Me Why, despite the three chapters coming out. We were planning on doing it alongside the releases, but life happens. Anyways, we're going to be talking about Chapter 1 this week. Uh, I guess initial top-level impressions without going into plot or anything, Dom, was Tell Me Why what you expected, and are you excited to play more of it? Yeah, it was pretty much like right down the, the barrel of what I thought it was going to be. Um and I'm and I'm really into it. The story is uh, is super compelling, and the way it's paced out through the first chapter was was really good. It wasn't uh, ever too much at one time, and most importantly, like that both of the characters um, or all the characters are like very believable and very compelling. The writing is like is really good. The, the dialogue between all the characters it's 
It's, it reminded me, honestly, a lot of like uh, Last of Us Part Two, where like those little conversations between characters are super believable. It sounds so natural and, and realistic, and that really helps uh, uh, draw you in and immerse you. So I've really enjoyed Chapter One. I'm I'm pumped. I've been like waiting for a few days now since I finished uh, the first chapter. I'm pumped to get uh, started on Chapter Two. Well, and it being three episodes, I'm interested to see if I enjoy this pacing more than the normal five episode structure we've been used to for a lot of mm-hmm. these games. Because the first episode, I thought it was paced well, and if the next two episodes are that length, I think it'll be a perfect length for this type of story. I think I read they're actually shorter. I'm not sure how much. Oh, so this is the bulkier one, and then the other two are shorter. Yeah, I don't know. I'm enjoying the idea of three chapters, but let's get into this. So, if you didn't know, tell me why is a game revolving around two siblings, one being Allison, who's a cis woman, the other being Tyler, who's a trans man, and basically at the top of the game... All you kind of see is that the child, a child is defending themselves and they end up killing their mother. So, skips ahead 10 years later, you end up finding out that Tyler, who's a trans man, was the one who was essentially like charged as a kid with killing his mother. And you end up going to this, this camp where they worked through his uh, mental health and helped him out and helped him come to terms with being trans and all of that stuff. And we'll get into those specifics. But they kind of were apart for 10 years. And I guess we can start here, Dom. In terms of characters, did you enjoy the introduction of of Tyler, who, you know, we don't get a lot of trans characters in video games. And Allison, who you would assume as being his sister, is his support center. But then being apart for 10 years, did that dynamic kind of intrigue you? Yeah, definitely. Because it it introduces it to you, like, piece by piece. Like, why, why was he here? Why was she away? for so long why couldn't they see each other in the meantime and they and they dole those answers out to you uh, throughout the first chapter but um but yeah right from the get-go and, and then i was really into to tyler like he was he was super uh, interesting to me um because like you said we don't get a lot of trans characters in video games certainly not as the main character um and like that that's kind of a a pretty darn big part of the of the story um so for me it, it i always appreciate that for someone who's like kind of ignorant about a lot of that stuff. So it's a good learning opportunity, especially as like how to see everything from his perspective of how things sound. Like when people, when other characters say certain things, how it sounds to him um, that I might not have considered before. Right. So I, I appreciate a lot of that. Yeah. I enjoyed both of the characters too, upon their introduction, they were immediately defined for who they were. They felt very unique to themselves. Um, the thing I love about Tyler is that, he is trans, but that's not really his defining characteristic. You know what I mean? Like, he's not the trans character. He's a really interesting guy who happens to be trans. And I, I like that because a lot of times when this type of material is tackled in entertainment, those characters are defined by that specific thing, right? Like, oh, the gay character, their most defining characteristic is they're gay. When in reality, it's like, no, gay people are people that just so happen to like the same sex. You know what I mean? I think, yeah, that's a good way to put it, too, because the game starts... Well, I guess it technically starts that brief uh, flashback or whatever, but like it really starts like w- with Tyler like ten years later, like fully transitioned, right? Where like he's a man and like that's how you know him and that's it. So you you think of everything from that perspective. You're not like it's not again for people who might be like uh, more ignorant to uh, like that kind of thing. It's you're not sitting there like thinking like he's a, he's a woman at any point like you're a girl like you just don't it's not that doesn't come up and the game like makes sure to tell the story in a way that like doesn't make you like 
think like that. It's like, yeah, he's a man. Like, that's it. And there, there's a couple clips later that, like, are, are, I thought really cool about that, too. Well, and the thing I love, too, is so one of the big things with being trans and transitioning over to the sex you uh, assign yourself to and you believe to be is that you have to take hormonal pills, right? And I have a friend who's trans, and the big thing is that when you start taking them, your skin goes crazy and you break out. And the thing I loved about this game is they mentioned it as a line, Tyler, in conversation with Allison, I believe, but it's not like focused on or anything. It's just a normal, typical conversation of like, yeah, my skin cleared up. It was awful. You should have seen it. And then they move on, right? Um, so they, they, they focus on it slightly, let you know it's a thing, but they don't like harp on it over and over and go on to a conversation of like, oh, trans people have to take hormones? Like they were just like, no, this is, here's a fact that you probably didn't know. Move on. Um, and I think they've done a good job so far. Obviously, neither of us are trans, so I'd be interested to see the perspective of somebody who is, and maybe they have a different take from it. But for me, um, I think they've done a good job so far. I guess the first big set piece we go to after, you know, going on the, they meet up together, Allison and Tyler, they catch up a little bit. You learn that they were actually separated for like seven years fully because Allison went to live with the local sheriff, which we'll get to later, Sheriff Eddie. Um, they arrive at their house right and they start looking through stuff and this is where we're introduced to the one of the two mechanics in the game primary mechanics which one is the memory thing where you can look at memories from the past and see exactly how things shaped out and that's a key to the storytelling and the narrative of the game and the second one you don't get till later when you're at the grocery store which is because they're twins which i guess we didn't mention either they're twins <laughs> uh we, we we just glossed over that they uh have the superpower I would call it, of being able to talk to each other uh, through their minds. And that's a mechanic that comes up later, and it's interesting. Actually, it wasn't at the grocery store. The first time they did it was when Sam showed up, right? Because they're talking to each other like, should yep. we just go? This guy's just drunk. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And that's really cool, too, because it gives you a secondary dialogue option where you can decide to carry on the conversation with the person that's in front of you, or you can press this button and move to back to the twin conversation. So there is an interesting dynamic there that I haven't experienced in a game like this. How did you feel about those two primary mechanics generally? I think this is a me problem, but I, I, I don't, I didn't like that the way that it was introduced. It was just kind of like, oh yeah, there's this thing we can do. And like, it, it works really well, like when you're using it in the yeah. game and stuff, but th there's been like a handful of different like sci-fi movies and stuff like that, where like things like that just exist and they aren't like really explained. It just kind of explains how it works. And I'm always like, I never like that stuff. Because I'm like, yeah, but why? What is that? How is this happening? Exactly. Well, um, so with yeah. me, I guess it didn't bother me because it's like twin telepathy is such a known, like, not that it exists, but it's a, a like a thing that you expect a lot of twins to have. It's like a, like a they just get it. wives' they tale. Yeah. It's like a wives' tale thing. Yeah. So I was like, oh, they have twin telepathy. Okay. But to your point, they don't really explain it very well. The memory thing, they do a good job of explaining the like telepathy thing is yeah just like hey we can do this you're like oh okay <laughs> right and, yeah. it, and it's fine it's like i've noticed like stuff like that and like i said in some other movies too so like i think it's just a me thing where like my need for explanations is maybe just too strong but that was just something i thought but the, you would the hate jj abrams yeah exactly like um <laughs> that's why i loved lost for three seasons and yeah. then hated the last <laughs> mystery boxes are yeah. good but i want to know what's inside the mystery box eventually yeah, yeah yeah exactly um but the mechanics themselves like what once i accepted that like, whatever like they work well and it's cool to to use them and stuff and how it plays out it's pretty cool 
So let's go over some of the characters we meet throughout this first chapter. Uh, and then we'll go over like what exactly happens to the chapter point by point. So we meet uh, Michael, right, who's this co-worker of Allison's. Uh, this fisherman guy, he looks like a local to Alaska. I guess they're all locals technically. They don't ever explicitly say he's her boyfriend, but he's her boyfriend. Like, they're going to be moving in together. Mm -hmm. They're talking a lot. It seems like she kind of is holding that away from Tyler, right? She doesn't want to confirm it to him, kind of wants to hold back. And I don't know if that's because she's not sure where he stands emotionally or if she doesn't want to introduce somebody else when they're trying to build their connection together, right? Of like, you know, I'm trying to get closer to my brother who I haven't seen in 10 years. Here's my boyfriend. He's going to be competing for my attention alongside you, you know? And it's, yeah, very clearly setting up a future argument between exactly when, when he, of course, finds out that, yeah, they're actually, like, dating or whatever. And it's like, all right. And then they're going to expect me to be mad about it and to make a choice as Tyler is what to say. And I'm like, I'm not really that mad about it because I knew. <laughs> or, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next up, we met uh, Tessa and her husband. Uh, these aren't all going to be in order, by the way. They're just what I remember. That was Michael, by the way, not Sam. I don't know if I said Sam by accident. So Sam is the guy who works uh, the, at the store as a lead cashier. He's also running for mayor, which is kind of odd when you find that out, that he's, like, running to be the mayor. His wife or girlfriend is Tessa, who they call her Auntie Tessa, but it's one of those family friend things where she's not actually the, it seems like, the sister to the mother. She's just, like, a close family friend. Um, you find out that she wanted to send Tyler to a conversion therapy camp, uh, which is awful. And the things, if you've heard anything about those camps where it's very tied into religion and it's kind of stripping away your individuality in the name of, you know, God and it, it, they're awful. Um, it, it, yeah. When I saw that, I was like, Oh, they're going there. Okay. Because it's a totally common thing, especially with parents who aren't familiar with, you know, the trans community and having a trans child. It's like, you know, they're tied to religion, send them to the conversion therapy camp. It's awful. Uh, what I want to ask you real quick, Dime, is that conversation can end one of a couple of ways. You can either get angry with Tessa and you find out nothing. You can kind of play mid-ball. Or you can find out the entire truth of her conversation with Marianne, the mom. I ended up getting the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Me too. Is that what you did? Yeah. 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 Um, I went digging through her emails and shit, yeah. <laughs> her character was one of the ones that I initially was way off on. I was like, I don't like this character at all. But then once she starts explaining herself and then you realize that she has a bit of empathy and forgiveness and she kind of mad at herself and a little bit of regret for what she did back then. And it seems like she's in a better place now. I kind of turned around on her. Could be a double twist where she comes back and she's super crazy. But I like that, you know, with these games, I love when you meet a character and your expectations of them change over conversations. So I enjoyed that. I guess we'll see. The jury's still out for me because she had an email from like the a conversion camp people yeah. lately in her front, like front page of her inbox, which might just have been there for the convenience of the gameplay or whatever, but yeah, we'll see on her. Like I said, I like her now, but I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if she ends up being still a lunatic. Mm -hmm. uh, the husband or the boyfriend, Sam was really cool. I liked him. He was funny. He was clever. The whole part where they're like, you're bald now. And he's like, you should see the rest of the class I graduated with, which I thought was really funny. Mm -hmm. um, who else? Who, who am I missing here? Sam. Oh no. Sorry, so Sam was the drunk guy. The guy at the front was Tom. I'm getting names yeah. mixed up. I'm uh, sorry about that. So Sam is the guy who pulls a gun on you because he thinks you're trespassing on this house. Uh, he ended up respecting me is the thing I got at the end. I don't know if you got the same thing with Tyler. Um, 
he is interesting because he's he seems like a well-meaning drunk like he's just a guy who has a lot of issues personally but and he doesn't understand and he misspeaks about you know trans terms or he just isn't very good and awkward and he's awkward at talking to tyler specifically but he seems like his heart's in the right place what i wanted to ask you there's no shot that he wasn't in love with Marianne, right? Especially the look oh, he yeah. gives at her porch. Oh. Like, that dude was madly yeah. in love with her. Yeah. The thing is, we don't know if it was he was her friend, but he wanted to be more, or if they were secretly more than that. We don't know that yet, right? I think um, I think it was more like a like a secret infatuation. And in yeah. she, she might, she wasn't really, you know, uh, give, giving back. And he just kind of was doing her favor. I mean, because he's still like, keep watching over her house uh, while the kids were away and stuff. Yeah. He was definitely uh, in real deep and I don't think that she was a part of it. She was very, we learned a lot about the mom too. She's not really technically there as a character, but um, uh, you know, in, in a sense she's a character. So I wonder if the dad being such a mystery is going to be something that's a twist later on. I think so, because I want to get into the, the mom a little bit too, because that was just, everything we learned about the mom as it went just got more and more interesting to me because um, she's just weird, right? Just a weird kind of person in almost every way. But you might think like uh, all the, a lot of the other traits she had, like a very progressive person, like wanted them to read a lot, um, be as artistic as possible and, and draw and like play imaginary games and this and that. Um, and I'm wondering too, is like, I guess the first twist, if you, if I can like just throw it out. Good. Yeah. Is, um, while you're looking through that, okay, I guess we, I, I, we never mentioned. So like, it's implied or hinted at heavily that the reason, um, like, the mom was trying to kill uh, Tyler as a kid because he had cut his hair, and she had never been accepting of of him being a boy, and cutting his hair was like just the final straw, and she had a bit of a mental breakdown and, and attacked him with with a shotgun basically, and and so he defended himself, right? Um, so. However, once the once the kids go back to the house, they find in their mom's bedroom a book of like I can't remember the exact title, but it was like raising a transgender child, like how to kind of a thing, um, which shocked both the kids, right? Because they had thought like, well, she was she couldn't have been more against this um, as far as they knew, right? And that and that's kind of what they assumed drove her to attack Tyler in the first place, and what ultimately caused her death. So like seeing a hint of like, well, maybe she was trying to learn um, and be a better parent here is kind of like what, what drives the first twist that kind of drives the story. Um, so that was kind of a big deal. So that's why what made the mo- first made the mom super interesting to me. And, and I'm wondering, like, was she so much, uh, or, I mean, she was definitely like transphobic, but was a lot of it also like she really liked like her little girls as girls, not necessarily like as much anti-trans, but like, she just wanted she connected with both her daughters being girls for some reason. And what does the dad have to do with this? I don't know. There's, there's going to be well, more there. I'm curious. And is there trauma based on the dad to where her now having a male in the house affected her? Yeah. Thought? Yeah. Exactly. It's not so much the trans part. It's having a male in the house. Right. right. That might be the thing. I mean, my big thing is I think she's schizophrenic to some capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my assumption. Um, especially with the, the whole focus on imaginary creatures and stuff with the kids. Yeah. Uh, I think that's leaning that way. Um, what else did I want to mention? Because I, I want to get to the final twist at the end. Obviously, that's huge. But I'm trying to think, is there anything else that we specifically wanted to talk about? Um, let's see. I'm sorry. I'm just going through my notes here. So I'm going to read through some of my notes and see if anything sparks anything. 
So I, uh, let's see here. Oh, now that they're older, they call her Marianne, which is like a weird dis disassociation that they probably have. Yep. They no longer call her mom, mm. which is obviously a huge thing, uh, which isn't surprising. Um, what else here? The haircut. You mentioned the haircut. We didn't mention the hockey team. He had wanted oh, yeah. to play hockey so badly, Esther, multiple times. Uh, I think a lot of the framing and lighting in this game, especially with the flashbacks with the little kids, does a good job of making it feel ominous and le leads you to believe one thing when the big twist makes you feel another. Um, I initially so, wrote, who is the mom protecting herself from with the shotgun? That was before yeah. we actually found out where she took it, but I was like, is she protecting herself from somebody else? Uh, I'm trying to see what else. Oh, to put this in context, we're not talking about somebody who is coming out as trans in 2020. This happened in 2005. So to have a little kid who's trans is a completely different environment than we are in now, right? So Not only that, but you're in, like, rural Alaska. Exactly. I've never been there, but I have my assumptions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they even mentioned, like, her to be able to find that book. She had to go through some effort to find a book like that. You know what I mean? Those okay. things are much more common nowadays than they were back right. then. Yeah. Um. Let's see here. What else? Oh, the Ollie Tyler thing, right? Where uh, Allison called Tyler Ollie for a long time when he was first thinking that he was a boy. And then eventually when he went to that camp by himself, he decided on the name Tyler. So I wonder if the name Ollie's going to come up for any reason at all. He called himself like Goblin King Ollie, right? In the book, I remember, in his diary or something. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Oh, the memories from different perspectives. This happens in the store where... You see a memory from Allison's perspective and Tyler's perspective, and the tone of it completely changes. In Allison's, the mom is way nicer and Tessa's mean. In Tyler's, Tessa's nice and the mom's mean. And that's interesting because that is a concept of, like, people perceive things differently, right? So to Tyler, since he had an antagonistic relationship with his mother, he saw her as the aggressor, whereas Allison saw Tessa as the aggressor. And I think that's going to play a big role moving forward, too, yeah. of the perspectives and how different things can be. Um, oh, the last decision with Allison siding with Eddie or Tyler over them being separated for so long. Did you choose Tyler? I assume. Yeah. That to me, yeah, that was so like did I. the quickest choice I've ever made in one of these types of games. Exactly. Um, I wrote down mom, mental health, question mark, schizophrenia. Uh, let's see anything else here of note. Oh, I have the choices I wanted to go over too, but before we go over that, like the percentages and everything, uh, Let's talk about the final twist. So towards the end, when you're in the police department for the final confrontation with Eddie and Tyler, you find out that in the interrogation room, you hear one of them mention, like, this is when we lied. We, this is where we agreed to lie. And you're like, lie about what? What are you guys talking about? <laughs> and then in the final moments of the first chapter, you find out that the mom chases uh, Tyler down to the dock. And obviously he's fearing for his life, thinking that she's going to kill him. Which that in of itself, the whole memory thing is like, was it as aggressive as it looked or is that what he's remembering? And then Allison comes up behind her and stabs her uh, and kills her. And she falls in the water and dies. And up until this point, we thought Tyler was the one that killed her. And you see Tyler embrace his sister and say, I'll take the blame for this. We're going to call the cops. I did it. Um, which informs Tyler's character completely because up until that point, you would... They're both selfish in their own ways, but Tyler is very much loud and opinionated, right? He's going to let you know yeah. what he thinks about what you're doing. Yeah. He's very much an environmentalist. And to see here that he 
he took it for his sister. He like, I'm going to take the blame. It's all me. It's such a huge thing for a kid considering he was the victim in that entire situation. And for him to have the thought of mind to be like, no, I just want to protect my sister. I'll take the blame, you know, incredible stuff. What did you think about that big twist? No, it got me. See, I didn't see that coming. Um, but maybe like, I didn't understand it, but so maybe you picked this up, but like, what do you think like was the story they told um, just like she just went, the mom just went crazy and that was her motivation. Cause in my head, like it seemed like obvious, um, seemed like it would have been easy enough to say like, well, you know, like I cut my hair and she was pissed about it and I'm trans. And so she freaked out and that's how, that's how she got so enraged and, and thus attacked me. And that seems like an easier story to sell than just, I don't know, maybe I'm looking too deep into it, but I was kind of curious about other people's thoughts on that. Yeah, well, I think it is that. I think they told I think they told them that like I cut my hair and my mom got really angry and she pulled out a gun and started chasing us and I don't know if they lied in the sense of they said that she attacked Allison and Tyler saved her or if she, that she was attacking both of them, you know what I mean? Um and we'll sure. probably get more clarity on that in the future, but I didn't see that twist coming. Uh, yeah, that's good. It was really interesting and like I said it it did a lot to each of those characters showing that Allison was willing to defend her brother from their mom at all costs and Tyler willing to take the blame for something he didn't do. You know, it really strongly enforces their own personalities. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about some of these choices real quick and you can tell me where you land. First one, uh, accepting the ring from Eddie as like a peace offering. Did you accept it or did you not? I did not. It wasn't clear to me what Eddie did wrong at that point. Maybe I had missed it, but I just assumed it was something real bad. So I said, no, I don't want your ring, Eddie. I accepted it. I was in the majority. You were in the minority. Yeah. Next up, the door puzzle. Did you solve it? Yeah, it took me a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I did too. We were both in the majority. Uh, the store memory. Did you go with Tyler's uh, memory or Allison's? I went with Tyler's where the mom was more aggressive. I went with Allison's. You were in the majority. I was in the minority. Uh, next up. Did you side with Tyler or Eddie? We both sided with Tyler. That's a majority. Uh, did you earn Sam's respect? Earns? I don't remember. It says it at the end. I don't know if you know it uh, in the moment when it happens, but at the end it says you earned Sam's respect. I definitely know, like, I felt like I put him in his place and he was embarrassed I, from okay. how he acted, so probably. So if you did, that's majority. I did too. And lastly, the Tessa conversation we talked about, we both got the truth and nothing but the truth, which is the majority. So that's it for episode one of the Video Game Book Club for Tell Me Why. We're going to be back next week with chapter two. I'm excited. I can't wait, Dom. And uh, in the future, we might do more of these. Obviously, there won't be multi-episode things since it'll probably be singular video games we talk about in a spoiler mode type of fashion. But if there's another game from Don't Nod, we might end up doing it once again in this fashion. So, um, yeah. Thank you guys. Now, we don't have a whole lot of time to talk about what we've been playing, but we can be really quick about it, Dom, outside of Tell Me Why, obviously. Um, Avengers, I almost have Captain America at max level. Nice. Uh, loving that game. Like I've said before, it's not a perfect game. A lot of the recent patches have helped a lot, which is really cool. It's a typical games of service game, and it's one of those things that, like, it hits all of the checkboxes I want out of games of service. It's the franchise. It's the gameplay. All of that, it obviously has all, a lot of the weaknesses and faults of games of service. You know, some of the areas are very cut and paste with slight variations. 
Uh, it doesn't always run the best, which I hope is, I can't wait to see what it runs like on next gen systems. It'll probably be broken in part still, but I love the universe. I think the I think the gameplay is solid, uh, at least with four of the five of the characters. Iron Man is the only one that like I'm not completely sold on. The rest of them I think are really good. Um, obviously, Thor's hammer throw and recall isn't God of War, but when people say that, it makes it sound as if it's like bad. It's it's incredible, but nothing can match the God of War uh, axe throw and recall. In and of itself, like. If God of War didn't exist, people would be lauding, I think, in my opinion, Thor for that same thing. It's mm-hmm. just that the quality benchmark was hit so high with that that in comparison, this doesn't look as good, but it's still really solid. Um, Man, can you like try to picture what Spider-Man is going to play like in this game? It's like hard for me to imagine that, especially because the, the comparisons are obviously going to be to Insomniac Spider-Man, like, but there's like that's a giant world with buildings all over the place, and the, it's all about the traversal. So I don't know how that's going to work. There's open areas in this, and the way Black Widow traverses is very much like Spider-Man will. She shoots like a uh, like a hook thing, right, and swings okay. through the air. So for Spider-Man, it'll be webs. The okay. combat. The cool thing is each of the characters' combat feels so different and their abilities feel so unique. So I can imagine Spider-Man in this game, though I won't be able to play it because <laughs> I have it on Xbox. But the characters feel so different. And if they can nail that, like we're supposed to get Kate Bishop Hawkeye next month. And I'm super intrigued about how that's going to work out with the rollout. To the other point, remember we had this conversation about the DLC of like they said it wasn't going to be paid, but in order to access the season pass, you need credits or whatever. In order... So... I've explained this before. Each of the five release characters have their own battle passes that are free, right? Completing each of those, you get a thousand points, and those thousand points are used to unlock each DLC characters. So if you did all of the five baseline characters, challenge cards, battle passes, completed them, you'll be able to get the five next DLC characters, battle passes, no questions asked, right? Just like that. But then you have to put into perspective when you unlock that DLC character's battle pass, you can get enough to get another character. So, like, it pays for itself if you just play, and they're really easy to unlock, too. Like, it's not it's not terrible. Like, the grind isn't bad by any means. For instance, Dom, you have to get 200 points total to finish the battle pass, okay? Just put this in perspective. You have to get 200 points. Keep that in your mind, 200 points. Every week, you get two challenges you can complete that each give you 11 points. That's 22 points total, right? That's one-tenth of the total challenge card, okay? Each day, you get two additional challenges you can complete, and each of those give you three points. So that's six points. So in a total week, you can earn, what is that, 48 points. So you can finish this in, like, four weeks, and the challenges aren't hard. It's like, kill five characters with this ability. Kill six enemies without getting downed. You know what I mean? It's like in four weeks, if you... If you're playing the game, even like a moderate amount or less, you're going to be able to unlock what you need. Like it's not Oh, 100%. Outrageous. Like I already have enough yeah. to unlock Kate Bishop's battle pass, and I don't even have Captain America maxed out, and I don't have any of the other characters leveled up past the campaign. You know, And it's like you're only going to be willing to spend any money in the first place if you like playing the game and you've been playing it. So I, I think I get what you're saying. Like, like yeah, fine. and you're not even buying access to the character. You can play the character entirely for free, earn mm-hmm. skins in the game, do all of that stuff. You are just trying to unlock a, like a premier battle pass thing. You know what I mean? And the cool thing is you can just play through it. And then by the time you unlock the points with another character and you've still been playing Kate Bishop, 
you can go and buy it at any point. It's always going to be there. You know what I mean? It's different than like Call of Duty Battle Pass where, well, when this deadline happens, that battle, battle pass gets taken away and there's a whole new one, right? These are set battle passes for these characters that never go away. They never change. They might end up adding levels, I assume, right? So instead of 200 points total, they might eventually add, oh, here's another extra 100 points you can earn in that challenge card if you want for Captain America, right? They could do that, but it never changes, you know? So I said we should be short, and I went on a whole diet track. <laughs> Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 still playing that. Uh, nice. Fortnite still trying to complete that battle pass for the skins because uh, it's Marvel. Um, that's pretty much it for me. Uh, Crash Bandicoot's coming up on the 4th of October, so I can't wait for that. Um, yeah, what about you, Don? Anything else besides tell me why? Yeah, I played more, I played more Rage 2, and it's, it's still really fun. It's kind of like, I don't, like, the gameplay is great, the fighting is great, but it's kind of, like, repetitive, and, um, you kind of just going, like, to different places and just clearing out bandit camps, and they look exactly like they're, I, I went to two different bandit camps within the same area of the map. And it was the same structure, like cut and paste. And I was kind of like, <laughs> oh, I know where the storage chest is in this one because it's in the same spot. I don't know. Yeah. I was like, that's funny. <laughs> um, yeah. Whatever. So it's kind of like, it's still fun, but I can't imagine like, I know it's a short game, but like if it, if you were to go too long, you'd probably get like pretty, pretty burnout on it. But um, still, it's still, it's still plenty of fun. I also started though, Wasteland 3 um, today. I played like less than an hour. Um, and it is, it's a very, this is a brand new genre that I'm <laughs> jumping into. I'll say that. <laughs> nice. um, so I got to spend a little bit more. That's all I can like fairly say right now. So I got to spend some more time with it and I'll have some better thoughts. So Awesome. A Night in the Woods came to Game Pass today. I downloaded that. I want to okay. try to get to that as well. Never got around to it when it initially came out. Thank you guys for listening to episode 207 of the Controlled Interest Gamecast. Hope you guys enjoyed us talking about Tell Me Why and all the other news, including Xbox slash Microsoft purchasing Bethesda. We'll be back next week with more incredible news, hopefully. We'll see what happens. We might be in a lull until the, the consoles launch, Dom, unless somebody wants to, you know, dip their toes in and make us pre-order more consoles with some kind of announcement. But I think we're kind of, it's kind of going to kind of be quiet after this Bethesda stuff. Outside of like, oh, here's more pre-orders. I don't know if we're going to get anything major. We'll see. Maybe a Stadia Connect. Um, I'm hoping we get like um especially on the PlayStation side like UI demos and like some uh, same some of the system features explained that we haven't really Just the YouTube yet. videos that get uploaded right and we can check them yeah. out and share them and they're not necessarily exactly. presentation worthy. Yeah. yeah. Uh thank you guys for listening. If you can please go over to iTunes or Spotify. You can find us there on iTunes. We'd love a five-star review. It helps us out. Just search controlled interests. On YouTube search the same thing it'll pop right up. Leave a like if you enjoy the podcast. Subscribe if you haven't already. Leave a comment. I reply to all of them except for the weird spammy ones that talk about wanting to get me in a room with them by themselves. Uh, <laughs> those those uh those adult spam comments, Dom, they're a real thing on YouTube. It's crazy. And we're not pro we're not immune. I was gonna say I I didn't know I was gonna say prone. Anyways, moving on. On Twitter you can follow us at C T R L I N T that's controlled interest abbreviated. That's a collective Twitter account where I tweet out the podcast and a lot of other interesting video game facts and stuff like that. Individually you can follow Dom at Dom's Oreos. You can follow me at Jared underscore register to vote guys register to vote yeah it's important but also like vote for joe biden don't just yes vote but vote for joe biden please exactly lord uh and do your research uh we're not pandering we're not you know do your research and you'll find that the decision is pretty easy when you lay all the facts on the table and uh yeah we'll catch you guys next time
Bye.